0: Hello, everybody. This is Randy Kobat, Senior Vice President at Cox Automotive, and welcome to another edition of our V Auto podcast. And I'm really excited today to be joined by Brent Adamson, who's the Distinguished Vice President at Gartner, author of the book The Challenger Sale, and also author of The Challenger Customer. And one of the things that is really evident in our industry is you know, car dealerships are real sales machines the existence of the business is really focused on selling, whether it's the car, whether it's service, whether it's financing. And so we thought it would be really interesting to get Brent's take on the research that they've been doing at Gartner and how it might be applicable to our industry in automotive. So welcome to our V-Auto podcast, Brent.
1: Thank you so much, Randy. It's great to be with you today.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, I mentioned that you're the author of The Challenger Sale. And, you know, I think being a student of sales as I was early in my career and, you know, really, you know, kind of learning from things like spin selling, which was kind of the Bible back in the late 80s when I was learning how to sell. Can you get kind of give us a little bit of an overview of The Challenger Sale to start with?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, it's funny. The Challenger Sale is based on a big body of research that we did here at Gartner. At the time, we were the corporate executive board, or CB, got acquired by Gartner, so now we're all part of the same family. But about 10 years ago, we were, by the way, we all remember 10 years ago, right, Randy? <laughs> Those were tough times, 2009, 2010, <laughs> but I remember the, the economy, the bottom had dropped out of the economy. We're looking at the Great Recession. It was very tough times. It's not like people are going to run out and buy a lot of cars in that kind of an environment, or for that matter, anything else, right? So the the thing that when we talk to heads of sales, we work at, in my role and the team that I work with, we work across industries, go to market models, geographies. It's whatever you're selling in B2B or even B2C. We're trying to understand it better. And, and it was interesting in talking to heads of sales back then. Not surprisingly, the big challenge was, you know, we're out there selling, but there's no one out there buying. And so all customers are sitting on the sidelines wondering literally what's going on. And it became an incredibly tough sales environment. That's just to say that which we all remember or know all too well. But the uh, the thing that was, I think, really most interesting about 2009, 2010 from a sales perspective was not the fact that no one was selling anything. It was the fact that despite, how difficult it was. there were you know, Every head of sales we talked to, including if I remember right, you at the time, everyone always had like one or two people that were still crushing their number despite the fact that we were selling into such a horrendous sales context. And if there was ever this sort of crystallizing moment in recent memory where the best were clearly set apart from everyone else, it was in those years. And so that led us on this journey to try to figure out. I mean, what are they doing? I mean, like, how can they still be selling when nobody's buying, like, what is going on? And so we went out and applied a bunch of research to that question. And, and lo and behold, out of that research in 2009 came this body of work, a body of research that led to the challenger sale, the challenger customer, the books and all that. But the basic premise, it turns out, and again, it's all based on a, just a huge amount of research. And when you study the best sales reps, and in many ways, today is no different, although the story is evolving and we can talk about that as much as you'd like. Certainly back then, and I think absolutely for the last eight years or so, the recipe for success the sales reps, the sales professionals who are truly setting themselves apart. Were the ones that were having conversations with customers, not about the supplier and our product or our services or who we are, and what we do, but having conversations with the customer about the customer. And now you could say that in many ways that wasn't new then. It's certainly not new now. Talk to your customer about your customer. Be customer centric, be customer focused. But the real interesting thing in the heart and soul of this word challenger is not just that these individual sellers were talking to the customer about the customer, but they're having these conversations with the customer about ideas, perspectives, ultimately what we've come to call insights, that the customer failed to appreciate about their own situation, ways that they were exposed to risk or exposed to cost, or in automotive, I suppose, exposed to safety concerns in ways that they hadn't fully appreciated. So how can I have a conversation with a customer, not where I ask them lots of questions and see what's on their mind, But how can I have a conversation with a customer where I actually challenge their thinking, teach them something new, something that they themselves haven't fully appreciated about their context, despite the fact that they could learn more than they ever could before through the internet and places like that. That's ultimately the value, I think, that we as sales professionals, at least up until the last couple of years, truly brought to the table that differentiated ourselves, was not just to be friendly or build relationships or have a personal connection, but to bring something of value to the table in the form of information insight. Help we understand something that I don't understand, how we see something through a perspective I don't see, and an ongoing recipe for success to, again, not to be obnoxious or annoying. Some people react negatively to the word challenger, but the idea is to challenge not the person, <laughs> personally, because that sounds awful, but to challenge their thinking and essentially help make them smarter.
0: That's what's been really interesting and unique about what Gartner's been working on is just really digging into how customers buy, because if we really understand how customers buy, it can really inform how we can all be better salespeople, or how to better sell to those customers, and your latest research has really uncovered a concept that you're calling sense making. So, can you briefly explain sense making to the audience?
1: So, I'll give it a shot. It's always fun to try to make sense out of the term sense making. There's a certain level of irony to it, but the <laughs> I mentioned a couple times, right? That the story seems to be evolving, and this is why it's fun to do research because you can actually see in the data and the research and all the interviews can see the story evolving in sort of the, the buying context, the selling context. And the thing that's really jumped out at us in our insight and our data over the last couple of years, and particularly in the last year and a half, is something really interesting about the role of information in a purchase. And just to, to back up for just a half a step, you know, if you think about the journey that we've all been on, not as buyers and sellers, as, well as human beings in the in the last 10 years in the world of the internet. The story is we can now learn so much more on our own than ever before. We can do all our research. We can figure out the features, benefits, pricing. It's all very transparent. We can go online. We get everything we need to know. And by the time it comes to sitting down with a sales rep, there's virtually nothing left to discuss but price. I mean, in many ways, your industry, Randy, of course, is almost like ground zero for this kind of phenomenon, right? It's like buying a car today is a perfect indication. I recently bought a car back in January. Just the amount of research I did was incredible. So I could walk in the dealership, and say this car, this color, this engine, this, these options and this price and get it to me on Tuesday or forget about it. That's the things that I think so frustrating about being in sales in this world where customers can learn so much on their own. But no, all right, so fast forward to the last year and a half. Here's what we've been watching happen. It's really fascinating. And it's so interesting because I've been on this journey personally with my own car purchase. If you think about the amount of information that's available today, it's not just a lot of it, but there's a massive amount of it and it's all kind of great, right? So up until I think a couple of years ago, the story of learning online has largely for the customer been a story of sort of separating signal from noise. Like, okay, there's a lot of information out there. I got to do some research, some due diligence to, to separate the good information from the bad. But what we have watched happen over the last couple of years, and we've all collectively been complicit in this, right? Is that We've all gotten better about the information we put out there, whether you want to be a thought leader in your industry or whether you've got better technology or better data or better analytics and just better tools to package and pump out that information through better channels or more channels and online, and we've gotten smarter about social. So what we're finding is that collectively as suppliers, we're not just putting out more information, but we're actually putting out more, better information. And that really matters because what we find our customers really facing today is not just a world of overwhelming amounts of information, but an overwhelming amount of quality information that kind of takes them in all sorts of different directions. I mean, just to take it out of your guys' context a little bit to make it sort of more real for all of us. I don't know, Randy, have you tried
0: to plan a family vacation
1: lately? <laughs> it's impossible, right? It's like yeah.
0: you got... So much information.
1: Exactly, and, the, and it's all good. See, that's the trick. It's like, well, it's all. There's a lot out there, but just focus on this good stuff. But like, there's hotel aggregators and Trip Advisors, literally. In that case, uh, there's uh, you know uh, airlines uh, companies that roll up the companies, and it's all really good. But now I don't know who to listen to. And my own personal experience with car buying reason is like, you go to this website and it tells you that it's a zig. You go to that website, it tells you the zag. You go to this app, it tells you this is the price. You go to that app, and it tells you no, you should actually focus on this. And at some point, you just get completely overwhelmed, not because there's so much of it, but because it's also believable. And so in this kind of environment, it's a really interesting thing that we're seeing in our data. This new role for the best sales reps, the ones that truly set themselves apart, that differentiate themselves from all other sales reps out there, are the ones that are now engaging in this idea of sense-making, which is quite literally, you know what, it's kind of taking the posture of, you know what, there's a lot of information out there. Let me just help you make sense out of it all. So part of my role is to provide you my insight or my information, a la Challenger. But the word that really comes up to me and comes to me always in this new research, Randy, is this idea of context, which is how, to what degree, Are we as sellers in this environment aware of and thinking through the context into which all of our information is being consumed by our customers? So it's not just the information we're providing our customers, but all of the other information they're consuming from other sources as well. And have we really taken the time to step back and ask ourselves, How could we help them make sense out of all of that, to put it all together in a cohesive picture perspective that they can take action on and feel confident about? Because it's really important to dig in this idea of confidence, but I'll take a breath here in a second. But this is the idea of sense making is how do I help my customers just make sense, not just out of my information, but all of the information out there, weave it together, put it together, help them come to their own conclusion of a single narrative that will lead them to decide to do anything other than we should study this more.
0: And I think that's where the story gets really interesting and one of the reasons why I was really excited to have you join us today. You know, for the last five years, Cox Automotive has been doing the car buyer journey research. Yeah. And, you know, the entire process as we're learning, you know, is taking now about a hundred days, which is significantly less than five years ago. Consumers start on third party websites, you know, including Cox Automotive's own, Kelly Blue Book, and Auto Trader. Yep. And they spend sixty percent of their buying journey online. And there's a lot of learning going on online today in the the car buying process, as you mentioned. And 50% of the time, the first contact the dealership has with a consumer is when they walk in the door. So, you know, the consumer is armed with days of online learning and and then they kind of walk in and with all this information and and now they're confronted with a sales rep. So from the sense-making approach is there any kind of steps that we might take as sales reps in the dealership to begin to sort through all this information and help our customers?
1: Absolutely. There's a couple things to think about. One is just a mindset shift. And whether it's sales reps in the dealership or sales reps selling you know, IT systems, it almost doesn't matter. But the thing is that the mindset shift would be, to the degree you can, think of yourself as not just one more source of information. Because I think to the degree that it's so easy, because I I would imagine for your customers and your partners and their, their car dealers, like if you can take yourself out of that context and put yourself into your customer's shoes is like this moment of empathy right? It's like if I'm out there and I've got all of this information from all these apps and all these platforms and all these websites and I think I'm not going to go to the car dealership and I'm not going to sit down and talk to a sales rep and if I just perceive them as just yet one more source of information when I'm already overwhelmed with too much information as it is then I don't see any incremental value in having that conversation. Why? It's like i got all the information I need in fact I've got too much information so what if we lived in a world where there are customers perceived your sales reps not as a source of information, but as a source of making sense out of all that information. And I, I realize that it may sound like a distinction without a difference, but it actually it, it's a really important one because now it's like what I need is almost like a buying coach. I need someone to, to help me just figure out like what should I even be listening to? Help me make sense of this. And this is where I think it, particularly your industry is, is, is going to face some struggles on this because of just all the, un, to some degree, accurate and more likely unfair sort of stereotypes of specifically car sales uh, professionals, is that I've got to, as a customer, and our data is pretty clear on this, I've got to see you as almost like a neutral source of information. So to the degree that I think that you're holding something back, to the degree that I think you're just giving me your side of the story, to the degree that I think you're just telling me what you want me to hear, I become incredibly skeptical of you as a salesperson. I I become incredibly skeptical of you, the individual sales professional. And that skepticism, that as skepticism, customer skepticism of the seller goes up, the likelihood of winning a deal goes dramatically down. In this environment where, you know, I'm already kind of walk in the door and oh, God, they're going to try like, here comes the undercoating pitch. (laughs) You need undercoating. And we all think that, right? So it's like, how can I create the posture, the interaction, where it's going to be really interesting, and again, in the industry, but especially yours, for sellers to adopt much more of an authentic, I realize these are really overused terms, but to be very authentic, to be very empathetic, to say, hey, look. I know this is hard. There's a lot of information out there. Let me just walk you through it because some of this stuff probably doesn't matter, but here's a better way to think about it, or here's a different way to think about it. Here's a way for you to come to your own conclusions. If I can help you with that, and if it leads to me, that's fantastic and will help you out. If it leads somewhere else, I get it, I understand. But one way or another, you're not going to make any decision at all if you can't make sense of this. does anyone listening right now saying, well, I'm not going to do that, like, you want me to talk about the competition or you want me to talk about the competition's information. Here's what I would argue, and this is what we're seeing in our data. Bear with me, Randy, because this is such a personal experience. Because the one thing I haven't told you is that new car I bought, it took me three years to buy that car. And I'm not kidding, right? Because they just research and research and more research and wait for the next model and there's this new technology and hold off maybe. Like, so you just sit and you sit and you sit and the thing is, you know why I didn't buy it? Because I wasn't confident. I wasn't confident. And it wasn't that I wasn't confident in any sort of dealer. I just wasn't confident in myself to make a good decision, one that I wasn't going to regret later. So the thing that I find so interesting about the world we live in today is that, you know, I, I sometimes I look at our data and I wonder, like, <laughs> it's amazing that commerce still happens at all, that people even buy anything because sure. it's so complicated and in world there's so many people involved in the b2c there's so much information and 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 of course i think at some point it's ridiculous to say it's crazy it's you know it's amazing that commerce still happens because commerce will still happen people still need to buy cars people still need to buy replacement parts and on and on the thing that i think is actually truly though interesting about all this research is it does make you wonder how much more commerce could happen how many more cars would get purchased if people felt just a little bit more confident in their own ability not to buy a car A versus car B, but to just buy a car, just to pull the trigger, to make a decision. That's right. We actually come to call this decision confidence. And In many ways, you know, I would imagine out there it's a dog-eat-dog world in the car business, right? And so I'd imagine if any car dealer, they probably think their number one competitor is either the car dealer down you know, in the next county over or the car dealer online. But I think in many ways your biggest competitor today is the fact that your customers are waiting three years to make a car buying decision. Your, your biggest competitor is status quo, indecision, lack of confidence. And, and that's why this sense makes Stuff to make a decision. So like, right. To the degree that you make your customers more confident to make a purchase decision, our data tells us they're more likely to make it with you if you're the one that made them feel confident. But even if they were go to the competition, at the very least, you're freeing up more decision-making. Yeah. We have a crisis of confidence, I think, today in many ways in buying. And if you could just get more decisions happening, you'll get more purchases happening. And if you could just keep your piece of the pie, we all think we're in a a, a battle for share. And we're always, always in a battle for share, right? But in some ways, I think the bigger battle today is not like, how do I steal share from the competition? But rather, how do I just increase the size of the pie and keep my share? And the way to do that is just get more decisions happening in general
0: yeah that's so true and you know it's interesting because i'm reflecting back on some research that we just completed and you and i have talked a lot about you know what we call the jobs to be done or really the steps in the buying process that need to be completed so that purchaser has confidence in their decision and you know really understanding how the job that consumers go through to buy or lease a car online and offline You know, we found things in the steps like minimize the time it takes to determine whether the optional features of a given brand or model are worth the added price for you. And that's the kind of stuff that really screams for sense making and having a different posture when that consumer walks into your store
1: you know it's funny because again this car that I just bought there was I don't remember exactly what the option was but it was uh, a some fancy thing that made this you know some steering thing that made it t- turn even tighter in corners it was a sports model so and I, I laid out and said you know I told the dealer now it goes both ways but I said no what about that option he, he looks he was dude. He didn't say dude. Actually, I, I, I heard dude in my head, but he didn't say dude. But he said, you really don't need that. And let me tell you why you don't need that. And here's what it's for, and here's the incremental benefit, but look at the price. And, and I was like, wow, that's that, the guy's being straight with me. Now, it's very possible. There's also a little voice in my head saying, yeah, he doesn't want me to buy that because he doesn't have a car on the lot right now that actually has that option. So he's just trying to unload with his current inventory. So there is, always, I think <laughs> there's always going to be an element to that in sales, and particularly in car sales, where your customer... But, but notice your customer's already on this forefoot of doubt uh, of of skepticism so the fact that someone says you don't need that and I'm not I'm not encouraging your customers your partners to go out and just tell their their customers that you know here's a bunch of stuff you don't need it's not that it's rather to it's kind of what you said in fact it is exactly what you said which is just help me as a customer figure out what questions I need to ask to determine for myself whether that's right for me. So it's, I don't need you to tell me, yes, you need that, or no, you don't need that. What I'm really looking for is it's almost like the Socratic sort of selling, which is don't tell your customer what they need to know. Give them the tools to figure out for themselves what's right for them. And, and that's where you get paid back in terms of, one, just higher levels of confidence. Because I'm going to feel more confident in the purchase if I feel like it was my decision. So one, I'm just going to buy, I'm more likely to buy. So that's that increasing the size of the pie. But the other thing we also find in our data, and which is very subtle, but to the degree that I associate you, the seller, with this feeling in me of confidence, I'm more likely to repay you directly for making me feel this way. Sorry, that sounded very convoluted and academic, but what we find is that people will repay confidence creation with business. It's like, man, I, I love talking to that sales rep because... I feel better about myself when I talk to that sales rep. I feel more confident, right. which is really powerful.
0: And in our industry, referrals are huge. So the more that you can oh, have sure. that position with a buyer, there's a lot more sales to be had in that buyer's network.
1: You know, the, the other thing that you guys do, which is so interesting, and for what it's worth, just a little, you know, props for Randy and the team at Cox Automotive, because you're the only company that we've seen that research it does this, at least for now, is you guys are, and now you're doing one level up, but I think it's a really interesting idea, which is, teach your customer what the bar for confidence is in other words I, I just really like some of the work you're doing you need to feel confident in these four things, and here's what confidence will feel like. So you'll know that you're confident when you feel these things or when you know these things, and I think that's a really interesting technique to, one, just put confidence right on the table with your customers and say, you need to feel confident, or we believe that maybe it's not quite so didactic, but rather than just telling them, here's what you need to know, but rather, you say like, you know, it, when working with a lot of consumers, we find there's probably four things that you need to feel confident in. It's probably these four things. Have we identified the, the right sort of problem? Have identified the right use case for this car? Whatever it might be. The really cool thing is to share, here's how you'll know when you're confident enough, when you can answer these three questions or when you feel like this applies to you. And I think it's just a, it's a really interesting way to look at it. And, and I think you guys are on the forefront of doing this, which is don't so much solve for selling and don't solve for buying. Solve for a feeling. Solve for confidence. And, and the buying and selling will
0: follow, which is a really interesting way to think about it. You're absolutely right, Brent. And I think we kind of landed on that was you know we're helping customers buy you know, multiple times a month, but in your case, you're going to buy a car and it's going to take you three years to make your decision. So if I'm a sales rep in a dealership, you know, I'm helping customers buy a car 10, 20 times a month. If I'm a new seller, my dealership is helping customers buy cars a hundred times a month. So I think that knowledge, that learning, you know, there's a lot of inherent knowledge already that each seller out in a dealership has on how customers buy cars and where they've seen their own deals go sideways or the way that they've kind of helped shepherd them through to the finish line. You know, and on that point, too, there's
1: something that's occurred to me that that we talk about a lot, and I think it's going to be really important for individual sellers, and I, I would imagine there's some out there that know this cold and some that kind of look the other way and say, I don't need to know this, but this idea of context, of understanding how your information that you're sharing with your customer fits into the context of all the other information that's out there. One of the things we think is becoming really critically important for sellers and sales organizations more broadly is in this day in the world we live in to understand what does that context look like. So, you know, if I were to go start working as a car sales rep, a sales professional for a car dealership tomorrow, one of the first things I'd want to become an expert on almost immediately is what are all those apps that are out there? What are those apps telling customers, my potential customers, to do? What are the other car dealers saying? What's the other information? What are the websites? You know, just to know that ecosystem of information cold, not so that you can come in and just criticize, like, oh, dollars and all that a bunch, of garbage or like you don't want to listen to apps. Let me tell you why apps are good. Because, because as soon as you start saying that, you sound self-serving, and then skepticism goes up, confidence goes down. But rather, it's kind of giving them the credit that's due, which in some cases more than others, I grant you that. But it's like, have you used this app yet? Like I would imagine you probably got a result like this. This probably raised these two questions for you, hasn't it? Let, let me see if I can just walk you through this. Like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows this app, and or you know, she knows the he's Like she's like she's in my head. She knew the two questions I had. It's like it's just understanding. This is really a moment of empathy. It's like. One of the things that your car dealer, your, your car sellers might want to consider is actually go through the process of buying a car and if actual purchasing, That's the thing is that, you know, I, my wife worked at Ford Motor Company for many, many years, and for like 10 years, it was great because we didn't have to think about buying a car. It was like, it was a plan, and you just to get the car, you order and it shows up, it's like, this is awesome. I do not have to haggle or anything, but, and I would imagine for a sales professional in a car dealership, it's probably something pretty similar. They don't, they don't have to go on this journey because they work at the car dealership, to get an employee discount or whatever they get. So I would imagine for a lot of them, they don't know what this feels like. And it might be a really interesting exercise. Start from scratch. Pretend like you have no association with any brand, any car dealer, any um, dealership, any automaker. And just go through the process of saying, where would I even begin? What would I do? Would I Google something? Would I look at an app? And just see how long it takes before you yourself feel pretty overwhelmed. And then now put yourself in your customer's shoes and know that's how they feel every time they come in and sit in front of your desk. And I think that's just a really interesting exercise to consider around this idea of like, have I really walked a mile in my customer's shoes, felt what they feel in all of this information? And then ask yourself, like, how am I going to help them make sense of that? Because if they don't feel confident in their ability to make sense of all that information, it's not that they're not going to buy from me. it's that they're not going to buy. And that, so that's a really interesting exercise of understanding that, I, I know it sounds wonky, this information ecosystem, but it is like, just understand what's all out there and what your customers are likely to encounter and questions are likely to have as a result.
0: Yeah, and that's great insight. I, w- I would say most new sales professionals in a car dealership are introduced to the product. And there's a lot of training that is given on the product, the actual car, the features, the options, and less, to your point, on the ecosystem of you know what is all of this information that a customer is swimming through trying to make a decision. So I think, Brent, we have to know what car you bought. Because uh, my uh, clientele, you know, obviously they're all car dealers, so they're gonna want to know what car you bought.
1: <laughs> uh, well, um, uh, it's—I'll tell you a couple things. So. so First of all, again, my wife was a Ford for many years. So we have a Ford family for years and years and years, and so I, had, I have a Ford Mustang. It's a GT. It's an O6, nice. which I bought. So I was a while ago. It's got 140,000 miles on it. It was just time for a new car, but I kept it. So it's still sitting in the garage. Uh, it's a legend lime with a black convertible top, uh, with with oh, no spoiler, great. which really makes uh, that really makes the car. And so what I bought, though, after a lot of looking, was my wife is no longer Ford, but she's a German. So I bought a German car. I bought an Audi. I bought a, an S5, and it's a. Uh, it's great fun. I, I'm just now adapting to the turbo lag. I'm so used to like you know American muscle. You you, you stomp down on the gas and the car takes off. As opposed, to you stomp down the gas, the car thinks about it for a second, then takes off. But beyond that, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, it's funny because I started with a, like a short list of things I wanted. I wanted a five-door hatchback, which is why I landed on this. And, you know, the Kia Stinger was up at the top of the list, too. But I wanted a five-door hatchback, and I wanted, of all the things, because it was like this old Mustang had no technology whatsoever, sure, yeah. so I went off the deep end on technology. But I wanted a heads-up display because I think they're badass. <laughs> and, and they're texture, they're super cool, and they're fun to drive. It's like driving with a heads-up. Now that I've driven with a heads-up display, because I had a couple of rental cars like that, too. It's like, I'm never going back. It's yeah, just, those are it's cool. so awesome. But that's what I wound up with. I, you know, but it's funny, though, because even today on the drive in to work, Randy, it's like some fancy Mercedes came. I'm not a Mercedes guy. You know, I don't like to flaunt my cars. I just like a really great car. But, you know, cars would go by and I think, well, I wonder, if I should, should I have bought that one? You know, I don't have buyer's remorse, but I'm always wondering, like, did I make the right choice? There so many other, what about this? And this is what's called the paradox of choice, which is such an interesting phenomenon, which is this world where the more options you have to choose from, <laughs> the less satisfied you are with whatever you wind up choosing, because you always think not about what you chose, but what what you didn't choose. And I'll tell you, if there's ever a place where the paradox of choice is in play today, it is absolutely in car buying. And again, it, it leads to this, this confidence problem. Which Which is I'm so afraid I'm going to regret what I bought that I just choose not to buy. And so if there's one thing that y'all can solve for out there in the sales of the uh, the car selling world, it is your customer's confidence, not in you, which we all try to solve for. It's your customer's confidence in themselves and their ability to make a decision that they won't regret. And if you could solve for that, you're just going to sell more cars full stop. I I think everything we're seeing in our data and, and just personal experience speaks to it too.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, all of the salespeople in our industry, they're taught to follow up with the buyer after the sale happens. And I think just thinking about it from that perspective, that did I make the right decision, helping that buyer, that customer that just bought the car from me to boost their confidence, if you will, in some way, would be just a great way to kind of solidify the deal.
1: Yeah, in fact, on that point, Randy, a really good technique here. This is another way to think about this. is really powerful. Our research is indicating, I think, early on, in some, because we didn't study this in depth, but you can see it sort of emerging from the research is exactly your point, which is in the quote-unquote implementation phase, which is that, you know, for a car purchase, to be that, that first, <laughs> first uh, three months of, you know, the six months, maybe the first year of, getting used to the car and all its technology or all the things it can do. I, I spent hours and hours on YouTube trying to understand all this crazy German technology and like, wow, this is like, I didn't know a car could do that, let alone mine. But the, uh, but the thing is, what's really interesting, just to give everyone sort of a mind shift on this, in helping your customers on that journey post-purchase, you're really solving for one thing in particular we find in our research. What you're trying to get your customer to say is not, I'm so happy because I chose you, which is traditionally what I want. Like I want them happy because they came to you know, fill in the dealer name here. It's like, that's, that's not what you said. You don't want them feeling happy because they chose you. You want them to say, I feel great because I chose well. And that's the difference. In other words, you want your customer not thinking, "Man, you're great." What you want your customer thinking is, "I'm great." Like, wow, I'm I'm really good at choosing. You know what I should do? Choose again. I should make another choice. I'm I'm great at this decision making. It's like because then again, you unlock the opportunity of more choices being made. Maybe I go tell my spouse or my you know like my older kids. Like, man, it's like I feel really good about it. It's like, go talk to these guys because they're just. You're just going to make the right choice, and that, that's your point about word of mouth is so important in that world, but it's an interesting sort of mind shift to think rather than like, how do I get my customers not to say, I'm happy because I chose you, but rather I'm happy because I chose well. Solve for that. Solve for confidence, and I think that's where you're in a very different place as a supplier relative to your competition.
0: That's great. Words of wisdom. Thanks, Brent. So it's great having you with us today, and thank you very much for joining us. We'll have our next V-Auto podcast coming up soon. Thanks, Brent.